Welcome along to the Go Play Soccer podcast with host Manchester United Academy coach Tom Statham. At Go Play, our aim is to bring people together from all across the world to discuss the beautiful game. Tom Statham here and today we are going to talk about play development with Dan Machici from Arsenal Football Club. Dan and I first met around 15 years ago when he was coaching in the academy at MK Dons. From there, he went to the Football Association, where he was a national team coach before returning to MK Dons as first team manager. Dan and I will be joined by Sanjeev from Canada. Thanks, man. Uh, so, hi, Sanjeev. Hi, Dan, and welcome to the Go Play Soccer Podcast. Thank you very much. Hi, everyone. Sanjeev, we'll, we'll start with you. Just, just outline what you do in Canada and the, and the club that you that you run over there. Yeah, nice to have you. Um, nice to be on here with you guys. Uh, we have a small little soccer academy in Ottawa. It's uh, nation's capital of Canada, and and our goal is to help pr- produce players to get to the highest level. Um, the ultimate goal is to produce two Champions League players. That's our. That's my mission in this academy, and it's a small little club, 150 kids, and yeah, we're on our way. Give us a few more years, and we'll have a couple of players at the Champions League. And what's the name of your club, Sanjay? It's called Futuro Soccer Academy. Excellent, excellent. And uh, Dan, let's let's talk now about your role with Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, my role, I, I joined the club two and a half years ago as an under-15s head coach and then was moved to under-16s head coach and under-15 and 16s phase lead, which I've done for the last two years. And I've recently been appointed as the under-18s head coach starting next month. So... Club have been really good to me, very supportive, and um, you know it's a really good time to be there. And and what particularly do you, do you like about Arsenal compared to the other places that you've worked? I mean, everywhere you work is different. Obviously, um, has has this different um, culture and history and traditions, etc. Um, what I like about the club um, is with, under the leadership of Per Mertesacker and uh, Luke Hobbs and Lee Heron. Um, it's going in the right direction. It's got a clear vision and mission. Um, it really cares about its people. It really cares about um, the staff and the players. Um, I mean, it's the first place that I've ever worked at where on your PDR, one of your objectives is about having a, um, a good work-life balance. And, and the very first question you get asked on your PDR is about your well-being. And you need to evidence, evidence that as well and really explain um, how how your how your life is on and off the pitch, um, and the, the you know, and can you evidence that you are getting the right balance in your life? Which um, and it, it doesn't mean that you're not going to work hard. I guess it's working smart, but it's also looking out for your well being and your family as well. So um, I think sometimes that's overlooked um, in an industry like this, where it's very competitive and very brutal. Um, so yeah, I, I like that and. You know, one of my children was uh, very sick about a year and a half ago. And um, they're the times when I think you learn about people and they were they couldn't have been more supportive, giving me time off, etc. As well as supporting the staff during the pandemic as well, from a social perspective, but also a financial perspective as well. Um, so, and, you know, the regular um, updates from the, the even the, the lead, this chief exec, on a weekly or bi-weekly basis about the club and the community. And it, it does a lot of work, the club, away from football. A lot of our academy staff calls are about things that are non-related to coaching. 
um, could be about, for example, Ramadan and making sure that we're aware about it and we understand it and we're educated on it because we'll have players and staff who are going through that. So I, I like the holistic approach as well as obviously we're trying to develop, like Sam says as well, we want to develop Champions League players as well. Um, so um, hopefully we can join you with that, Sanj, and produce some too. Yeah, well, it, you know, you made it clear why you enjoy working for Arsenal. It sounds, you know, a, a great club to work for and it's obviously one of the leading clubs in the country and, and in the world. But I, I know you really well and I do know that you are a bit different with your style. I mean, I, mm. I genuinely, Dan, and I know I take the mickey out of you a lot, but I genuinely think that you are the best coach working with young players that I've ever seen and but you have got your little little ways about you and you're, you're a bit different so mm. I can see you wanting to work for Arsenal but are Arsenal adapting to you and your mm. your mannerisms and your your mm. style yeah I mean thanks for your kind words I mean Tom I have to say um a lot of people won't know this but when you said we met 15 years ago you know you you opened the doors to me at Carrington which is very difficult um to do and I know that from working where I work that you know not only getting people access to a facility but also the time and effort it takes to invite somebody in and show them around and introduce them to everybody so I'll always be grateful for that um, and I won't never forget that um, just as well with Sanj who invited me to his home and his facility um, a few years ago so you know we're all we're all in this together we're all trying to do our bit for players but no I mean when when I was approached to work at Arsenal Obviously, um, Per didn't know me well, but Luke and Lee did. Um, and their brief was very simple. It was, we're, we're employing you because of what you do and, and who you are. We want you to be yourself. Um, and yes, they had a methodology in place and a philosophy in place. But they said, we want your ideas, we want your input, and we don't want you to be anyone different. Um, and, um, you know, I, I delivered on the Welsh Pro Licence yesterday and I took two of my assistants with me. And, and I said to them, we're going to deliver exactly as we do. And that was something that I was very clear on pre, during and post session to the candidates was this is who I am. You know, some of you will like it. Some of you think it's OK. Some of you won't like it. But you can't go through life and through coaching trying to please everybody. You've got to be yourself. You've got to be authentic. You've got to do what you believe in. And um, and the end of the day, my priority is one, the players I work with and the organisation I work for. And and secondly, I want to enjoy what I do. Um, and I think the way I work is well researched and well thought out. It will appear to people as being a bit off the cuff and a bit um, um, unconventional. But, you know, behind that is a lot of detail, which people don't need to see. I, I need to know it. Um, I know the work that goes into it. So, um you know, and that was very much the feedback we got yesterday. It was a very different session to what we've seen before. You know, a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving around. It was a bit more like a rugby session, not in terms of the style of play, but, um, but in terms of you know, rugby sessions um, at times are sort of six or seven minute bursts. And then you move on to another part and there could be six, seven, eight parts to it. Or it might be done on number of repetitions and they move round. And I see a lot of that in the foundation phase. Obviously, Tom, you're a lot more experienced than me at that phase. But um, and then for some reason it gets lost as you move up. Whereas players like variety, um, the better ones, they and variety I think is important within a session, not just for a season, keeps them engaged, keeps them stimulated. Um, and as long as it's got a rationale behind it and it's being done for a purpose 
then um, I see a lot of benefits to it. So, you know, very much been very supportive, uh, supported uh, where I work. I would say I've never had people believe in me as much as my current employers. And, and, I, and I have had a lot of support, thankfully, everywhere I've worked. But here, they've been incredible. Um, and, um, you know, and I've learned a lot from them as well. Yeah, that's good to know. And I think you just made a really interesting point because in the foundation phase, it's sort of accepted that mm. the the care for the kids is number one and, and mm. their enjoyment, their love of football is the most important thing. Um, but And we do give them lots of different experiences and, and the kids thrive in that environment. They, they enjoy it, they're, they're creative mm. and, uh, you know, they just have a fantastic time. And that's sort of allowed in the foundation phase. But then when I see... Uh, training sessions and games um, with with other clubs for those sort of 14, 15, 16 year old kids, it looks like a first team session. Mm. And so to me, if you're 14, 15, you're closer to foundation phase age than mm. you are to first team. But mm. it gets to, there's this rush to mm. be an adult, to play first team football, to play proper football. Mm. And I, I'm really pleased that, that your attitude of making those years Mm. Uh, much more like a foundation phase is coming mm. through yeah yeah and um and I think where sometimes it gets misunderstood we had this at the FA when I was there with Pete Sturgis who I consider to be an expert in the foundation phase and he would call it purposeful play not just play you know there's the whereas I think people sometimes when they hear the word play they think you're just throwing a ball in the air and hoping for the best and they can just do what they want and there's no sort of boundaries or no, you know, there's no deliberate sort of environment put in place. And of course, at times you do want to just let it go and um, let it be really free. Um, but I think that's where people um, go from one end of the spectrum of play and another end of the spectrum of, like you said, first team football and really structured and stop stand still and all this. And really the, the, um, the skill is being somewhere in the middle. Um, and and again, being and 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 rapport, you know, rapport with the players. I think what you're saying there is absolutely right. But I think as well that connection, Per calls it connection before correction. Um, you know, not losing that, you know, uh, emotional connection with the player. Um, I had it yesterday when um, you know we had the players for an hour and a half. We've never met them before, and we're putting on an Arsenal sample session. So I have to quickly make a connection with these boys and get them doing things. So I knew who was going to be playing as a centre half. And um, I found him straight away before we even started the session. I said, do you like John Stones? And he went, yeah. I said, okay, I'm going to call you Stonesy all session. But on one condition, you play like him. And within five minutes of the session, the ball came to him and he played it back to the keeper and I stopped it. And I went, what are you doing? I thought you were Stonesy. Put your foot on the ball and tease the forward to come towards you and press you and then bounce it round him. And, you know, and then and for me, you know, you can make a connection in many ways. Um, but that's just an example of how you can get them to start believing in themselves and 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 start to be able to do more than they even believe they could do. Um, and it's not rocket science for me. It's it's just thinking about how you can get them on side very quickly um, in their language as well, not from what it says in the manual. You know, we could call that in the past dispersal, for example, or whatever. But they don't know what you're talking about. You know, speak to them in a way that they're going to understand because 
we need them to understand. We don't need it to sound the best. We just need them to understand as simply as possible. And then they have a reference in their brain of, right, I know what he means. I can relate to John Stones. Um, and then they get better. And that's what we get judged on at coaches, as coaches. You know, when I speak to most players and ask them, you know, most of these boys, what do you want to achieve? They either say they want to win the World Cup or they want to win the Ballon d'Or. So as soon as they say that, we've got them, I think, as coaches, because that's what we want. If Sanchez people come to him saying they want to play in the Champions League, he can use that to his advantage. They just say, I just want to have fun. That isn't fitting in with Sanchez's mission. So I can then start saying to him, look, you." when they drop their standards slightly, I can say to them, you all give it the Ballon d'Or one, but then you want to do the bare minimum. So if you want to win the Ballon d'Or, this is what it takes. And you know, Tom, from your time at Man U, Ronaldo, what he was like every day. How are you going to make me the best in the world? That's what these are like. And you can see it in their eyes as well, those ones. They don't have to touch the ball. You can just see it. Um, uh, there's that's, an intensity to them. That's really important. That's an important characteristic. And, and there's a lot of kids at the moment um, playing in Manchester United's first team that I've known from a young age. And I, I definitely say the one thing they all have in common is that drive and that focus, that determination yeah. to play for Manchester United's first team. They just, yeah. And there's another lad this week, Will Fish. He just joined mm. them as well. Exactly the same from a young age. Great kid, great player, but totally yeah. focused on achieving that goal. Now, mm. let's let's bring Sanjeev in here um, from Ottawa in Canada. I know you you uh, want to say something there, Dr. Theatre Dan. Yeah, Dan, I know it's um, it, it, it's exciting to work with 8 to 12s because it, it's easy to build their creativity. And, and I know you talk about this a lot, about building creativity at the young ages, but then you talk about retaining creativity. Mm. I've heard you speak about that quite a bit, especially when you came here. Can you elaborate on that? How to retain creativity? Mm. And then how can you demand um, good decision-making while allowing creativity? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um, I think first and foremost, it starts with your playing style. I think your playing style, um, that drives your practice design, your environment, how you speak. So again, going back to that example, the John Stones, just by me talking to him about John Stones, I'm talking to him about John Stones putting his foot on the ball and stepping in and and all these kinds of things and, and moving ahead of the ball when you're in possession as well, not just staying at the back, etc. So, and obviously John Stones does other things, but I'm zooming in on that. Um, so I think, and that's come from the playing style. So the, the playing style for me is very important because out of that, then drops your position, drops out of that, your position profiles, what you expect of the, these players in different positions, including the goalkeeper as well. And then because creativity looks different on different parts of the pitch, as we know. Um, and then again, it's looking for things that are memorable. I use je ne sais quoi a lot with players. And again, it's a bit of banter, um, but also it's um, they know what I mean. That They know I mean flair when I say that. So now, when I say to I want to see a bit of je ne sais quoi. It's translated je ne sais quoi is I don't know what. So it's I don't know what the opposition are saying. I don't know what you're going to do. Um, and, um, you know, say the ball goes into a centre forward and he takes a touch wide and he's got a runner on the inside. And I'm thinking straight away, because I have the references in my head, 
he can back heel it now and he's in. And instead, he plays it square. So I'll stop it and I'll go free kick to the other team. And he'll go, why? And I'll say, je ne sais quoi. Back heel it and we score. And because I then add the score bit to it, he knows it's not, we're, this ain't centre parks. We're not, you know, we're not, this isn't a laugh and a joke. I want to score. I want to win. That's why I'm doing it. You know, it, it's not a beauty contest. Um, so when you then give them the why, then they can make sense of it. Um, then the key is then the next couple of times he does that, it's going to go wrong. So I make sure the other players are ready to counter press because if he tries it, they intercept and then they break away and score. He's looking at me thinking, you don't know what you're talking about. So I've got to have that in my mind and I've got to make sure I don't criticize him when it goes wrong. I might say, good idea. Or I might say, why do you think it didn't work? It didn't work as a defender read it. I only talked to you about it five minutes ago. He knows he heard what I said. So he's gone half and half there. So you have to be aware of what that defender's doing. It wasn't on there. Now you travel with the ball. So you play cat and mouse with the defender. So, um, so I think, like I said, playing style, look for it. Like I've got a big database of clips and I update that on a daily basis. So I think as coaches, you have to be a student of the game. You have to train your eyes so you can see these pictures before the players see it. Because if you don't, you're always relying on the player to improvise. And yes, we want them to improvise. But when they don't see it, they're li- <clears throat> they, th- that's the role of us as well to say, hang on a minute. Why did you play square there? Well, I couldn't. We couldn't go. We couldn't play through. Yeah, but could you go over? Could you use the space in the sky? Could you just lift it over the defender? And if they don't believe me, I'll show you ten clips of this, and I'll show it to boys at your age or professional level, and at different leagues. Because I always try and find examples of different leagues and different tier of league. So it's not always Barcelona and Real in Man City. It might be whoever in League Two. Because then they know then we watch a breadth of football. We don't just watch Champions League. So I referred to Thomas Franks yesterday um, during my session as well. So I've mentioned John Stones at one stage. Then um, the, my, my, my rationale for mentioning Tom, Thomas Franks was Thomas Franks said last week when they knocked Bournemouth out of the playoffs, they went 2-0 down on aggregate, Sanj. And um, Thomas Franks said in his mind straight away it was, win the next moment. So don't dwell on being 2-0 down, win the next moment, win the next action, win the next duel. They came back and won 3-2. So I made reference that to the boys. But really, I was mentioning it so they could go, he's mentioned Brentford, he's mentioned um, John Stones, he's mentioned Je ne sais quoi. At another time, I said some, qu'est-ce que tu fais? So I threw a bit of French in there. So I'm giving them a bit of languages as well. Where's the Where's the Italian? <laughs> Get the Italian out. So, um, so bizarre part as well. Then you just try and make it a bit holistic. But I think ultimately with the creativity one, it's what is it? It's, it's a subjective term, creativity. If we all spoke about creativity, we would it would have different meaning for us. So I think what you've got to do as a coach is break it down into football actions. What are the actual football actions on the pitch? Where are they and why are they why do they work? Um and then and then from so I don't really talk 
I don't really say to players be creative. I I I talk about the football action, a jacks, like you know, letting it run through your through your legs for somebody else. I talk about a movement because I think movements also a creative action. I talk about defending as a creative action in terms of getting in front and intercepting or going up to win a header, but then as the ball's in the air, just drop off and they flick it to you. Then you chest it and now you play. So I talk about the football action. Um, and it's just about being consistent. You know, it's about, it's an, it's an everyday thing. The, the best time to drive it and demand it is when you're getting beat and when things aren't going well because you're going to lose anyway. So why not just lose and maintain your integrity and everyone can see that this coach means this, you know, because if you're going to demand this, you've got to accept three times out of 10, it's going to work. Seven times out of 10, it's not. But the three times are, are gold dust. And that's what gets you your Champions League player. Yeah, absolutely. That's fascinating insight, Dan. Um, and a moment ago, you mentioned goalkeepers. And mm. this is something that I remember from, um, you know, seeing you at MK Dons and how you told your goalkeeper to become a defender, really. So mm. when, when your team are attacking, mm. um, the goalkeeper is not just on the edge of his box, he's virtually on the halfway line and he becomes mm. an extra sweeper. And that allows him to get involved in the game and develop his foot skills, but it allows defenders to push into midfield mm. and it just makes the whole team yeah. more attacking and more creative. Is that something you're still doing today? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, um, I think we just got to look at the modern game and how much they use their feet more than their hands. So I think for, from a first and foremost, we include them in a lot of our ball mastery work, you know, our... Um, whatever you want to call them, passing exercises or positional possessions where 4v4 plus threes and they're on the end as a bounce player and things like that. Um, because, you know, they need to be efficient movers. You know, they need to be quick. You know, they need to be agile. Um, but in a football context, um, they need to have a range of passing. I mean, I referred, you'd like this one, Tom. I referred to Schmeichel yesterday. Um, so we were doing an exercise where it was a finishing exercise and you had a keeper who started the exercise off, uh, but there was actually a goal behind him um, because that goal was being used for a different practice. So the goal was the other way round. And when the, the, the goalie at the other end made a save, I said to him, Schmeichel, and he looked at me and thought, uh, and, I, and I said to him, sprint to the edge of your box and throw it into that goal, but you've got to beat that keeper. So he, he just gets another outcome out of the practice. and then. I came back to at the end of training. I said, um, you know, when I was talking about Schmeichel, who was I talking about? And he went, Casper. I went, I wasn't. I was talking about his dad. <laughs> That's how old I am. And I said, his dad used to throw it to the, over the halfway line. Um, so, um, you know, with the goalkeepers, I think they're really big in terms of the counter-attacking aspect as well. They catch a cross, but, in, but it's got to start in training. When they catch a cross, I, I see a lot of, they just throw it five yards then that's all they're ever going to deliver. They don't look forward. But I'm doing that bit, one, for the goalkeeper in terms of can you have variety to your distribution, but also for the attacking players, can you recognise there's a turnover? Again, we can attack and we can score. And obviously for the defending team, you know, they got to think or win the next moment. So, um, yeah, I mean, we play a back three a lot, um, you know, the, but... <clears throat> Rather than it being a 3-4-3, three, three, it's a 4-4-3. Four, four, 
because the the goalkeeper is the other centre half. So you're actually playing with eleven outfield. Um, and of course, when you start this off, the goalkeepers that they that they, they, you know they look at you and think, "What are you doing? My job's over there. I'm meant to stand in between those two posts." Then you get them in there, and you know, and 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 you just get gradual buy-in. And again, it's where I think your Guardiola's are, are so good is they explain to the players the why, you know, so the players understand what what are the benefits if I come here, you know, how it opens up the pitch, opens up passing lines, and it, and, and more importantly, it develops them as an individual. You know, but then as you, you said hit- as you said earlier, Dan. If they try it and they make a mistake, it's vital that as a coach you yeah. don't jump in and, and exactly. criticize them because they're yeah. doing what you want them to do. Yeah, and it's happened to us this season on a number of occasions. Um, and one thing I never do is criticize a goalkeeper because it's it's the hardest position on the pitch. Um, it, you know, it's such a unforgiving position, you know, because the consequences are so high. Um, so. I always look at the easy thing to would be for anybody to say to me, oh, you could have put it in row Z, but I'll talk more to the outfield player and said, look, you could see he was coming out of his goal. What could you do? Could you drop down and give him a simple pass? You know, or he's gone to make the right pass and he's just underhit it. And the reason why I'm so understanding a goalkeepers is because every week on the telly, they make mistakes and they're getting paid 30 grand a week. You know, it happens every single week, you know, at the top level. I mean, we saw one at the weekend. We've just been talking about Schmeichel and his son's obviously an outstanding goalkeeper. You know, massive game to get a Champions League spot. He, I've never seen it that happen to him ever, you know. And two weeks ago, FA Cup, he's the hero. Two weeks later, he goes to punch it and it ends up in his net. Doesn't make him a bad goalkeeper. He's just a human being and it was an, it was an accident wasn't a mistake it was an accident and accidents happen but I think if you if you asked a player whether there's a goalkeeper or an outfield player to do something and they do it and it doesn't come off first time then if you reassure them and show them on your side there's, mm. there's so many gains there in your in that relationship that you're talking mm. about earlier and I think it, some coaches because they want to look good themselves yeah sometimes sacrifice the player yeah yeah exactly and um and again, I think it goes back to um, the coach understanding, knowing the pictures himself and having that knowledge himself. And, 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 and like I said also, Tom, because we've watched thousands of games in our lives, we've seen these things happen so many times. Steven Gerrard has an unbelievable career, biggest game of his life, he slips and Chelsea go and score. It's never happened before. It never happened again. It just happened in that single moment. And does that mean Brendan Rodgers then you know, who was the current manager and never gets his midfielder to drop in between the centre-halves again in his whole coaching career because that ha- that cost them the title. Of course it doesn't because it happened. What he might think is, I've got to be aware of my right what my right centre-half's doing in this situation and my goalkeeper, without telling them, look, he might slip, you can obviously communicate it in a different way. You've always got to be thinking, obviously, of the what-ifs. Um, but... You know, it doesn't change your approach, hasn't changed Brendan Rodgers's um, since that day um, because he understands it, it It will happen now and again. But you'll win more than you lose and you'll develop players for millions of pounds rather than thousands of pounds by working in this way. 
Yeah, absolutely. Sanjeev, would you like to come in again with another question? Yeah, I'm interested to know, um, during your time at MK Dons, you work with some good players, including Deli Ali. So I'm interested to know, if you look back at his career, as when you worked with him as a young kid, and now look back at how well he's done internationally, is there some things that you would have changed? Is there some things that now you look at, you're like, okay, that was great, it worked, and I'm going to continue to do that? Because mm. I know you tried a lot of different things with him. Mm including, if I remember correctly, you spoke about him playing up with men at 13 years of age. Mm. Um, so, you know, there's so many things you did. I'm just interested in yeah. how that applies. Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I've got to be careful about speaking for him about him now, work for the um, the, the other club, um, one of the rivals, but i um, sure they won't mind me answering an odd question. Um, I mean, again, everywhere, I, I think as coaches, wherever we work, we have to adapt to where we're working. So, I didn't try and pick up what we did at MK Dons and take it into the FA. And I'm not trying to take what we did at the FA and put it into Arsenal because everywhere's different. And we evolve as well. So if I was doing the exact same work today that I was doing back in 2007 to 2014 with him, then I don't think um, I've evolved and I've not gone up. Because coaching is all forever evolving. So, for example, analysis. We had we didn't really have an analysis department, you know. We barely had, you know, we in our Arsenal, we've got full-time coaches from under sevens through to under 23s. You know, MK Dons, we had a full-time 18s coach and myself, and that was it. Um, so very different landscapes. Um, and I had to work differently there because, and it's no disrespect to the club, the club will understand this because of the badge the badge didn't carry as much weight and power as an Arsenal. So an Arsenal, you know, and th this is with a pandemic, you know, prior to the pandemic, been to Singapore, um, Germany, France, etc., Croatia for tournaments. MK Dons, we got invited to one in seven years. And that was because they thought we were Southampton. So we got to the final and, went, and we lost in the final to Panathinaikos. And when we went up to get our trophy, they said, and up come the runners-up, Southampton. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Southampton have Did got... Did you play red and white stripes? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but, you know, on, on a serious one, you, you know, I work differently now to I did then. I mean, for example, for, you know, for a start, I didn't have a full-size pitch to train on uh, when we were all there. So I had to sort of adapt to the constraints we had there. So we go and train in a sports hall because we haven't got enough space in our 60 by 40 dome for the amount of teams we want to train in one go. So I had to try and source other venues, etc. We played against, like you said, older opposition because one, because I thought it'd be good for them in terms of, um, um, I think it's worth 10 training sessions. You know, you can look at two ways and go 14, 15 year olds playing against men teams. We're going to get an injury. We never got one in seven years. Uh, you could say we were lucky. I don't know, but we never got one. Um, and we were prepared that we might get one. But the opposition aren't daft as well. They know they're playing against younger players. They want to win. It's going to be competitive, but they're not too fitting. And we got a referee. There's a referee on the pitch for the reason. So. Um, you know, I think we can be um, too overprotective at times. Um, 
but also um, because we weren't getting to, invited to play against your Barcelonas, or Real Madrid's, etc., like you'd get a Man United, uh, Tom, and we get. I had to work, think differently, and we had to think differently. So we would, we could replicate that. So don't try and compete with a Man United and Arsenal like that. Work differently. So we would go and play West Hearts, West Hearts district team on a Tuesday night, um, etc. So ours was more, I would say our programme was heavy on games and less on training. I'd say it was like 75% match uh, related, uh, not match related, geared towards the games programme was the, the curriculum. The games programme was the teacher. And we didn't train loads. Um but, but Dan, the games that you played were different. You weren't just playing the yeah. same format of the same no. game. Yes. And one of the things that I really remember was um, watching that, that that under 14, 11 aside game with you. And we played it on a 60 by 40. Mm. So yeah. talk a little bit about the theory yeah. behind, behind different yeah. pitch sizes. Yeah. So again, we had five pitches available to us, one being the youth team pitch. And they said to me, what do you want to do with the other four? So I said, okay, can we have one that's a 50 by 30, another one that's a 60, 40, another 70, 50, another one 80, 60. Um, and each of those pitches had an offside line in the thirds. So give the players a reference of the thirds of the pitch, but also it was an offside line because, because the pitch is smaller. If everybody's in one half, teams are just going to play in behind. Um, so by putting the offside lines in the thirds, it meant they had to defend slightly deeper and it meant the middle third was very compact, which is what happens in the modern game anyway. Um, and, you know, m myself and the academy manager at the time, Mike Dove, both had the same thought process at the time. We're going back to 2007 here, where we didn't have Phil Foden and Marcus Rashford and Jaden Sancho's of this world. You know, we were, if you go, if you look at newspaper articles in 2000, in that time, Although we had what people considered a golden generation, um, you know, who didn't achieve for whatever reason, you know, and we had some top players, Rio Fernand, Joe Cole, etc., Beckham, uh, Skulls, we were always criticised that our players couldn't deal with the ball under pressure. And we, they didn't have, as we said, creativity of the South Americans, for example. Um, and obviously some of that was playing style related. We'd play Spain and drop into a mid or low block and just say, look, we can't keep the ball like them. Um, so we had a mission that we're going to show that English kids can do this. Um, and if you want to be good at dealing with the ball under pressure, you've got to bring the spaces in. And also for maturation purposes, um, again, going back to what you said, Tom, about foundation phase into the LMB 11 game, you know, you can go from this miniature game to then all of a sudden you're on a full size pitch and I experienced that when I was there. One of my first games there at under 12s, I remember we played um, another academy and we lost something like 10-1 at home. And I looked in, I thought, our players aren't that much worse than theirs. It's not a 10-1 game, but they're playing the ball in behind and it's just a race. And the goal's too big for the goalkeeper. It, the penalty area is too big for him. We can't play out. Because we didn't have those rules then where you can go start a goal kick in the penalty area. So the game was very different then. So, um, again, I was very lucky that I said to ask my caddy manager, I said, look, on Sunday, can I, I want to put a pitch inside a pitch. So we'll, we'll keep that big pitch. 
but I'm going to put a 60 by 40 in that pitch. So when the opposition arrive, I mean, you know, it was a real eye opener because I learned very quickly, don't throw this at people on a Sunday morning. And I'm lucky I'm still alive. Um, so in the end, I'd have to email them at the start of the week and I'd spend my whole week going for emailing back and forth and phone calls of explaining why we're doing this thing. Um, but, you know, we stuck to our guns, to be fair. And people like Tony Whelan at Man United, when I presented things like this at Premier League um, meetings, was very supportive. Chris Ramsey, people that get development. And um, so I put made this pitch. So this opposition turned up and um, I said to them, look, we want to play on a smaller pitch. Um, we just want to, you know, create a different environment for our players in our home games. When we come to you, we'll do whatever you like. And I said, can we try it for two periods? And if you don't like it after two periods, I'll take the cones away and we'll go on the big pitch. And I went, yeah, no problem. Anyway, two periods in, we're losing 4-1 and three of our players are crying. Um, you know, they hate me at this stage. And I said, what's wrong? And I said to their coaches, Do you want, should I take the cones away? Because it would obviously would have been easy for me to say, let's take the cones away here. It's not working. We're 4-1 down. But I saw a different game and I could see why we weren't having success like them. They were playing well on it um, and we weren't yet. And they said, no, it's all good. All good. So I said to our boys, why are you upset? Oh, because of this, because of that. Well, what do you have to do on this pitch? more round the corners, more wall passes, etc. Anyway, we came back on 175. The day after, we got a letter of complaint from that club yeah. and we had the Football League complaining, saying our goals were too small, even though there was 12 goals in the game. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so that's sort of how it was born. And like I said, I was very lucky. The academy manager and me sort of, just stuck to our guns. We could see the improvement in our players. When we went away from home, we never complained about how big these pitches were. We we had to play in a different way. We could slow the game down because there was more space. We could play more mediums, medium to longer range passes. But essentially for our players, they couldn't do what they wanted to do on the bigger pitches because they just didn't have the power in their legs. They, they didn't have the endurance to get up and down. So we found we could play our playing style on, on these pitches. And what we didn't do was say, this is an under nines pitch. That's an under 11s pitch. It was just a pitch, you know, and the players needed to adapt. And we, we had one group who um, were quite an athletic group. So away from home that, you know, they used to have like double figures. They used to just, you know, steam all over teams. And then at home, they couldn't they couldn't score a goal. And again, they'd come up to me and say, we're not on there, are we? Or they'd even ask, they'd say, can we not play away from home? I said, why is that? And they'd go quiet. I said, you're not good enough to play on that pitch. Okay, no problem. And they, no, 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 we are. I said, no, you said you, you want to change. Okay, go and show me then. You can play on that. Because good players can play on big, small, bobbly, flat, you know, wind and rain. You know, so, um, you know, the game's about adapting, isn't it? So, um, you know, and, and going back to your question about Delhi, um, you know, I made some mistakes um, in terms of um, when he was a late developer, 14-15, um, I tried to play him wide for a couple of games. I thought I'd take him out of the traffic, but it didn't suit his personality. He needed to be in the action. He needs to get on the ball. So, again, um, 
you know, I, I remember watching a Tottenham AC Milan game in the, um, I think it was the UEFA Cup back then. And Seedorf was dropping in between uh, Thiago Silva and Maldini to make a back three to receive the ball. And I thought, I might try that with him. I could bomb the fullbacks on and, and lay the wide players inside. And, and I did it with him and it worked because he was in midfield. He was getting a lot of the ball. He could help us build up. And then in their half, he could play and et cetera. So, but I recognised that quite early that I'd made a mistake there. Not, it, not, not, I wouldn't say you couldn't do that with a player, but I just couldn't do that with him. Um, so, um, you know, in terms of um, other things, you know, he wanted to um, uh, do everything. You know, so I'd strip the pitch down and say to him, when we've got the ball, you, you can go anywhere you like. Uh, when we haven't got it, you have to operate within these lines because he'd go into wide areas and he'd actually run out of, he'd be running too much. Um, and I would say to him, that's not your job there. That's for our fullback. Yeah, but he's getting beat. I said, but I need to make him better then. I'll help him get better at that. You just do your bit. You operate here. But, but when we've got it, you want to go in there. You can come in here. No problem. We'll rotate around you. Um, and he was lucky because he was in a good group as well a lot of other boys as well had a lot of success so they I would never compare them to the class of 92 but I I use the class of 92 as a reference point in terms of local kids all grabbed each other by the bootlaces all drove each other on were very competitive within each other and that was quite an inspiration to me their story that we don't need to go and get boys from London or elsewhere we've got local boys here who have got drive and, and, you know, feed off that. Um, and like I said, the playing style, the um, <clears throat> the sort of, I remember we played Chelsea in a stadium game. So we, so going back to the variety, um, Man United came, came to us as well um, a few times, but we played Chelsea in a stadium game when Delhi was an under 15 and we had about 4,000 there. And, you know, they were full of like boys who have gone on and done really well, great academy. Um, and Shay Ojo did a Cruyff turn after one minute outside his own box, got tackled and they scored. I think it was Jordan Houghton who scored, who's just, just been playing for MK the last three years. Um, and people tell me this afterwards. So after, so anyway, it became like a three-all game. They scored in the last minute. We lost 4-3. And that for us was huge success because, you know, the perception would be we shouldn't even get over the halfway line. Um, and we played, etc. Um, and uh, people said to me afterwards, I honestly thought when he made that mistake, you were just going to change the style. But there was nothing to change. You know, it was just he did the Cruyff turn too early. You know, the defender wasn't tight enough to him for him to do the Cruyff turn and he didn't use his arms. And saying, you know more about 1v1 jewels than me. Um, but it wasn't a, you shouldn't have done it. It was just, it was just... It, you did it too early. You didn't tease him towards you enough. And, and Shane knew that anyway. Um, so, you know, you just keep to your beliefs and, um, you know, and, and those games were, I think, essential for Delhi. So when he then started playing, I, I you know, he says to me often that those games were as much pressure for him than playing in the Premier League because of the context. Then he had all his schoolmates there at that age, you know, peer to peer, etc. Um, and he he experienced four or five of those. The first couple he didn't do particularly well. Actually, when we played Man United, he missed a penalty. 
Um, but then I remember we played Tottenham and they had Harry Winks in midfield and Delhi bossed the game. Um, so he'd sort of learnt to deal with those games and his range of passing was really good and we had the right formation and, and identity for not only him, but a lot of them. Um, and there was one or two who it didn't suit, you know, and I look back on that and I think the playing style hid deficiencies of certain boys. The playing style made them look better than what they were. And I think back then I didn't have the experience to recognise that. I, I didn't um, expose them enough or recognise, yeah, he looks a well beater, but can he do this, this and this? I need to make sure that we're, we're taking that back to the lab. And and one or two didn't come through, which, you know, I regret. Yeah. Uh, Dan, have you, have you watched a film called The Damned United? I haven't, no. Have you heard of the film called The Damned United? I have, United? yeah. I have, yeah. You know what it's about? No. It's about Brian Clough mm. and the 44 days that he was Leeds United manager. Cool. I'm going to watch that. Yeah, I just wondered if they're going to make make a film about your time at, at MK Dons as their manager because it wasn't much longer than 44 days. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. That's a good one for you. What what are you what did you learn from that? Mm. Um Yeah, I mean, look, it was a really good experience. Um I learned that you can play a certain style um in that league. And players can pick it up very quickly and it doesn't take a lot of from, from I think looking back, I was focused a lot on them buying into me as a person and as as an as a coach. Um, because they might have been looking, thinking, oh, he's come from youth, etc. Whereas actually, and I'm I'm not saying this necessarily about the boys there, but I know a, a lot of this you know it happens a lot in the lower leagues and professional leagues is some of them are quite broken and out of fallen out of love of the game um tom and how you said before about the love of the game at the younger group and then so there's a lot of pros who don't like the sport don't like coming into work you know hate the industry uh for for many reasons um and because I would say that I find that quite an easy part, the bit on the grass and um, the connection side. I probably spent too much time trying to get prove myself as a person, as a coach, as opposed to actually this thing's about winning. And I didn't respectfully say no enough to other departments at the club. So I'd get asked to go to talk to the academy parents or attend the scholars um final decisions or speak to a certain group like MBA students might I remember we're in once on a Friday um afternoon can you speak to these MBA students yeah no problem and I said yes too much and I've sort of learned the hard way really I mean get getting you know losing your job is the worst thing and best thing that can happen to you I mean I don't want it to happen too often I've got four kids but um I definitely think I'm hardened to the industry now and for all the sort of um, nice ideas and play this way and all the rest of it, you know, I work for my children ultimately um, and my wife and I need, you know, I need to be successful for them as well as myself. Um, And when you lose your job, as nice as people are to you and I've got no problem with anybody, um, they have to get on with their lives. So you're better off failing on instinct and failing on what you believe in 
or, or you know, and because it's easier to live with yourself. And um, I needed, I if I was in that situation again, I would respectfully say no to certain things because when you get beat on the Saturday to a 93rd minute scrappy goal against Portsmouth like we did, it doesn't say in the report afterwards, yeah, but he did, um, you know, he did speak to the NBA students yesterday. So, you know, get, you know, give him, cut him some slack. You don't get thanked for these things. So ultimately, what is your job? Do what you have, prioritise what's going to keep you in the job and thriving in your job. Um. But, um, you know, it's I think I've got a lot more empathy towards managers and knowing the other side of it now and and also knowing what players are going into. You know, can they go Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday? You know, are they able to take on board a lot of information, um, different game plans, set pieces, the travelling, the setbacks, the social media, etc. So, um, you know, I, I think I've got a lot more understanding of what it's about the motions chairman go through as much as that chairman respects me and loves me to death you know you you see them in a different light under pressure and um and rightly so because they're putting their money in and you know he trusted me to do that job and I'm really pleased that he's now gone with someone like Russell Martin and they've got the right identity and you know it's worked out well and and timing is well you know you're going in mid-season um Everyone will tell you going at pre-season, pre-season's key, get your ideas across, etc. Um, so, you know, looking back, I went in at a very hard time, um, but I still felt I could do it. And if I had my time again, I wouldn't say no to the job. And I think I could do it because I know that <clears throat> the, the 10 defeats we had, eight of them were by one goal. And those 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 eight games, we could have won four of those. I mean, you know, I got a manager of the month nomination while I was there um, and we lost 2-1 to Blackburn, whose budget was 12 and a half million uh, compared to ours, which was about three to four. And the difference was Adam Armstrong, two shots, two goals. We had we can we, we were missing chances from six yards. But what, what I refuse to do is blame the players. I look at myself and I think I should have done more double sessions, but not flogging them. I mean, double sessions not assume they're going to score goals because they're on X amount of money. You know, at the end of the day, I saw a really good quote from John Allpress the other day, which was, they don't, no one gets better by doing less. Um, and I think I just assumed, are oh, they good players? You know, I don't need to do it. We don't need to go out this, this afternoon or, <laughs> you know, they'll score. They'll understand the style. Leave no stone unturned. You know, I'd rather overwork them mentally and technically and underwork them um so you know there's there's things that I would do slightly differently but also a lot of things I'd do the same you know based on the feedback I had when I was there and um and how we played but we just didn't win enough games yeah it would have been fascinating if you if you just could have got through the end of that season mm. get yourself a pre-season yeah. and get yourself a full season because you know I, I i know that you would have made a success of it um mm. I, I think you, you're right about the timing you know mm. you couldn't turn it down but the, the timing yeah. just wasn't quite right well look i i know that arsenal uh are really uh lucky to have you i know you i'm, I'm really pleased that you're you're happy at arsenal that you've got the support there and you know, Arsenal are lucky to have you because I genuinely believe that you know you are the best in this country working 
with young players. And and like we've just talked earlier, I think you would have proved yourself to be one of the best working with professional adult players as well. But um, maybe that'll that'll come in the future. You know, you you're still yeah. a young guy, really. Yeah. But, um, to be, I mean, what I would say as well is from my time at the FA, we're going back to about, um, you know, develop showing that our our players can do anything in, you know, like anyone else in the world. Yeah, there is good work going on elsewhere. I mean, if I think back to our under 16s when we won the Nike tournament, who then went on to win the World Cup, and I'll never forget beating Brazil in Florida 2-0, Phil Foden got both goals and we had 94% pass completion and 68% possession. And I remember going to the FA and people saying to me, more, more than one person saying to me, don't think you can go there and out-possess Brazil and Spain and teams like that. And, um, and you know, they weren't my players. I mean, Angel Gomez from Man United and Sancho and, you know, um, Ryan Sessegnons and Callum hudson Adoys, etc. You know, they're, they're players from other clubs. And, um, you know, we're, we're on the right path in this country. You know, if I think back to, again, 2007, going into MK Dons and um, having seen at Tottenham when I worked there before under Chris Ramsey and John Mack, what they'd done there. We've got some really good people in this country. And, um, you know, we, we'll, I, you know, I'm convinced we're on the right path. Brilliant. Well, Dan, thanks so much for your time. And, uh, you know, let's, Let's try and keep in touch a little bit more over the next few years than we have the last few years. And uh, thanks, Sanjeev, for your input as well. Um, you know, a great conversation. And I hope everyone enjoyed it listening to the Go Play Soccer podcast. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone. Take care. Thanks for listening. And if you have a question or comment for us, or if you'd like to take part in one of our podcasts, please email podcast at goplaysoccer.com.